I'm Victoria Cash. Thanks for calling the Lucky Land Hotline. If you feel like you do the same thing every day, press 1. If you're ready to have some serious fun for the chance to redeem some serious prizes, press 2. We heard you loud and clear. So go to LuckyLandslots.com right now and play over 100 social casino-style games for free. Get lucky today at LuckyLandslots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. On Florida's Space Coast, we think you can have the best of both worlds. Kind of like right now. Driving. At your desk. Maybe at the gym. But you're also grooving to some music. Visit us and you'll go to the beach. And see a rocket launch. Or go kayaking and manatee spotting. It's all waiting for you on the only beach that doubles as a launch pad. Plan your adventure today at visitspacecoast.com. Hi, Paul Dennett here. Just letting you know that Cricket Unfiltered is now on Patreon. If you are a fan of our show and would like to support us with a few dollars each month, go to patreon.com slash cricketunfiltered or click the link in the show notes on your podcast app. Menas here. Our Patreon supporters will also get some pretty cool bonus content. Paul will be doing a series of cricket history podcasts. And Manners will be doing long-form interviews with leading cricket personalities. All of these shows, plus other bonus features, will be available exclusively to our Patreon supporters. So if you want some great extra content, or if you just love the show and would like to help support us financially, please go to patreon.com slash cricketunfiltered. Haynes has a crack at this. And this Australian victory has been commanding. The champion team makes it 25 consecutive wins. And Rachel Haynes gets herself into the 90s with the boundary that secures victory by nine wickets. Well, that was the moment Australia notched its 25th consecutive win in one-day cricket. Rachel Haynes hitting the winning runs there. Now it's Alistair Nicholson on commentary for Channel 7. Welcome to Cricket Unfiltered. I'm the unstable host, Andrew Mensel. Joining me is Jaleesa Apps. Jaleesa, how are you? I'm very well, Menes. How are you? Doing very well. Paul, welcome. How are you? Good. Great to be here, as always. Excellent. Well... Lots to get through in this show. Um, We're going to wrap up that first match in that multi-format series, and there's a ton of news uh, to cover, and then we're going to wrap it up with Can't Let It Go. But let's start yesterday. The domestic season has begun. Australia hosting India in a 50-over match in Mackay. And actually later on today, or maybe when you're listening to it, it's already happened, but the, the men's domestic season kicks off as well. So I'm, I'm thrilled about that. But I guess uh, yesterday, Australia v India, India batted first and made eight for 225. Matali Raj top scored with 63. Darcy Brown took four for 33, which is the youngest ever player to take four wickets in an ODI. Hannah Darlington took two for 29 on debut. She's also, also the third Indigenous women's one-day player. 
and uh, nice scenes where Ash Gardner, another Indigenous player, gave her a, a cap before the, the show. So chasing eight for 225, I thought, you know, India a half a chance here, shows what I know. Um, Australia just smashed it. Um, 126 run opening partnership. Healy made 77 off 77. And then Haynes was 93 not out. The ever reliable Rachel Haynes. Meg Lanning, 53 not out. And Australia won with nine overs to spare. And as I said, the 25th consecutive win in that format, format, you'd be a fool to, to bet against them in that format. <laughs> and, uh, was Meg's two, Meg Lanning's 200th match for Australia. And yeah, terrific start to the season. Jaleesa, what did you think? Yeah, I thought it was incredible. Certainly they, um, they chased it down very easily, which didn't make for a very good match, to be honest, but it was good to, um, good to see Australia do so well. I hope, um, I hope that it, maybe the, the games are a little bit closer, but also just an incredible feat to be still extending that record winning ODI, uh, run is just amazing. Just as shows how dominant we are in, in that format in women's cricket. And I was giggling before about the notion of betting against them because both Menas and I did back India and we were very smug. I think I was very. Did like, you ah. really? Yeah, because, you know, the way that India was batting, it was, the pitch was difficult. And I just thought that as their score was mounting, I think Australia's really going to struggle to get these. And, you know, um, we're the very good judges of the game. We were just waiting for the collapse to occur and um, a nine wicket victory <laughs> didn't really pan out the way that we expected. So rather so a, a few hum- weeks. A humbling experience. <laughs> so a few weeks ago when you said that um, you would be submitting your betting history as the, the uh, reference for your get it being becoming a selector, I that one will be. will be left out. <laughs> no, 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 that's why I'm saying it because I, I talk about my win, but I need to talk about my losses as well. And, um, you know, not to put it too fine a point of it, but even Bradman got a duck occasionally. <laughs> <laughs> I thought the good signs in the first game because I thought India – I thought they they gutsed out their batting and, and got to a total which was competitive on paper. And, and they easily could have been rolled for 160, 170 in their first game, but they showed a bit of fight to get to that total. I did think they looked pretty rusty in the field, and I just wonder if having not played for a while and coming out of two weeks of quarantine, they're just getting into speed. But it's a shame for me that, you know, India couldn't win that first game of the series because I want now to you've see... got a bread and... <laughs> bickies and cheese for your family for the next few weeks. <laughs> well, I'm not a big, I'm not a big gambler. I'm not a big gambler. Um, but um, I, I just want this to be a competitive series. I want yeah, India so to, to punch back, and um, I think they will. I really think they will. But um, I mean, Healy was just phenomenal. When she, she is so destructive at the top of the order, I could tell that she put the Indians on the back foot straight away and uh, a domin- another dominant performance. She loves the Indian bowlers. Yeah, they were magnificent. Um, Haynes, Healy and Lanning, it was like they'd moved, moved to a different wicket. Exactly. So um, that's the first match out of the way. The second ODI is this Friday, so can't wait for that. All right, let's get into the cricket headlines brought to you by Piccolo Podcasts. And the first headline, and we'll stay with women's cricket, that the Women's Big Bash League has, Big Bash League has confirmed its move to Tasmania. Uh, so they're going to play the first 20-odd games in Tasmania in three different grounds. They've also changed the final structure. Uh, they're, they're, they're still playing the same amount of finals, three finals matches, but the structure is a little different. The, the top team after the, um, group stage, the qualifiers go straight through into the final and then three and four on the ladder play off to play the second place team to be the other finalist. So it's, it's a slight change. One of the reasons given for it is that if the first team goes straight through to the final, give them a week to promote a home final and try and get a crowd in. I guess, what are your thoughts on it? I'm fine with it. It doesn't really, um, you know, doesn't impact me much either way. I think it's it's probably a good, good move. Yeah, I often think that it's um, in a lot of sports finishing, like um, in football, as minor premiers, it never actually means anything. So this way, I kind of like it in cricket that it will actually mean something because you'll you'll go straight through. So I actually really like it. That's good. I, I do too. I hope next season they actually add another finals game and we get what we sort of see in other comps where one and two play off 
for a spot in the final, but they get a second chance by playing the winner of the other game between three and four. But they did say that they couldn't do that this season just because of time constraints that constraints. They only had a a short window to get the finals in. Uh, But yeah, I think it's an improvement. And I think the WBBL is going to match what the big bash did last summer, the men's big bash and just, try and avoid border closures and quarantine and um, conditions around the country. So they're going to start in Tasmania and then move to wherever the competition can go. I think Southeastern Queensland, uh, Adelaide are probably on the agenda. I don't think Melbourne or Sydney will see any WBBL cricket at this stage. All right. The the next headline, staying with the sort of uh, big bash, Jimmy Pearson has been ma- named as the new Brisbane Heat skipper. He takes over as Chris Lynn. I think that's a good appointment for them. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, he, he's probably the third keeper. You know, if you've got Inglis and Carey, he's probably the next one down. You know, if they were to both break fingers, he, he'd be the well. If Tim Payne, Alex Carey, and Josh Inglis all were injured, Jimmy Pearson would probably be our keeper. He's the sort of player when he walks out to bat that you think uh, all is not lost, that he's a, a player of substance and um, you'd never put it past in the player match match winning innings. Exactly. So that's a good appointment. Chris Lynn can focus on his batting now. Not that he's getting much of a go in the IPL. He's on the sidelines. All right. The next cricket headline. Well, following on from our discussion around Afghanistan, the Taliban have banned the IPL broadcast in Afghanistan due to girls dancing in the stadium and watching in the stadium. Uh, so, I mean, I don't know. I think it says it all, doesn't it? I think we now can pretty confidently say no one will be playing Afghanistan in any sort of cricket for the foreseeable future. If you step on the IPL's toes, you, you're really in a, a tough spot, I think. <laughs> so, yeah I, yeah, I think you're right. I think they're gone from international cricket. I'll be really interested if they play in this upcoming T20 World Cup. Do you think, Paul, they'll, they'll be there? I think they will be, yeah. Um, I could be wrong. But without being an expert in it, my instinct is that they'll play. I think it would be really disgraceful if, if um, the ICC let them play after, particularly just after this latest um, with the IPL. You just have to take a stand at this point and be really strong about it. And I, I think it would be pretty disgraceful. I agree. I think it's such a shame for the fans, such a shame for the Afghanistan players that won't get to compete. But I just think there's no alternative and it's untenable. It's, it's a sad situation, but I'm afraid there's no alternative. All right. Well, the ashes are on. Stuart Broad's confirmed the ashes are on. He's coming. Uh, so, you know, you can put all the speculation to the side now. Um, yeah. Stuart Broad said on the weekend that he's definitely coming. Um, so that's good that, you know, Anderson and Broad will be here. Not sure who else. <laughs> I still maintain that I think most of them will be. And I, I obviously could be proven to be well wrong, but I think that in years to come, this Ashes series won't be one that has a sort of a quasi asterisk next to it because of weakened sides, which that's happened quite a few times in the past that where for whatever reason, one side or another has not brought anywhere near its full strength side. I'm optimistic that this won't be the case. If someone like Joss Butler pulls out, then fine player that he is, uh, there are plenty of others who are kind of at his standard. It wouldn't be a, a major blow to England. I also think the way that um, I don't know how it's still very up in the air, how the ashes is going to work with all these border closures and things like that. But the way certainly some States are going where you can now home quarantine, maybe that will change things for them a little bit too. Um, perhaps there's some work being done behind the scenes that, they could quarantine like the Aussie cricketers did um, a little while ago where they have access to, you know, being able to train and that kind of thing. So I think there's still a little way to go here, but I don't, I never felt like the Ashes was in doubt. I just thought maybe it looked a little different. And I still think maybe the fixtures themselves look a little different. Yeah, look, I am a bit sick of the English players sort of going on about this. I can see them pushing for the sort of conditions they want when they get here. And I think they're valid to say that, you know, if we can play in Brisbane, we're allowed to go out for dinner. We don't want to play in Melbourne where we have to stay in a hotel. I I do get that. But I think they're just taking this a bit too far to think that because a few of them don't want to come, they should just put the whole thing off. Like None of them 
are good enough players ever to say that, let alone in this situation. They're not a great team anyway. Um, so I, I just think I think they're pushing it too far now. It's got this sort of feeling of like a, a union vibe where all the players are like sticking together and they, you know, they want to sort of um, push the ECB into a corner, but the ECB have made it really clear the Ashes needs to go ahead as much for them because they've got financial stake in it and they've just lost 60 million on a test that was cancelled. So I just get on with it. I, I totally understand if you can't come for a personal reason, totally accept it, but don't think, oh, if I'm not coming, they stop the Ashes and wait for me. I mean, give me a break. Uh, and I think as well that um, it's going to look very different in uh a couple of months' time, hopefully. If all things go as planned, then the situation in Sydney and Melbourne may well look a lot different at the time of the Ashes than it does now. And I go back to the fact that it's not looking all that great in the United Kingdom. They're still getting um, tens of thousands of cases each day. Uh, who knows what the situation will be there in a couple of months' time? Hopefully it's not, but it wouldn't, it wouldn't be beyond the realms of possibility that um, the boot could be very much on the foot on the other foot by then. Absolutely. Now, Paul, I know this will be sad news for you, the next headline. Michael Holding has announced his retirement from the commentary box at the end of this season. We will no longer get the dulcet tones of Michael Holding. Um, What was your first reaction when you heard it, Paul? Surprise, Um, because (laughs) if someone said to me, you're going to retire, what are you going to do? What would you like to do? I'd say, oh, I'm going to retire. (laughs) I'll just commentate cricket for the rest of my life then in retirement. Uh, it's, it's like it's the, it's the it's best so job in the true. world. <laughs> what else are you going to do? <laughs> Retire from what? That's what we're all going to do. <laughs> and, yeah, 100%. And he's 67. And I've always maintained this, and that Michael Holding looks 20 years younger than he is and Greg Chappell looks 20 years younger than he is and no one else agrees with me. Whenever I ask someone how old do you reckon Michael Holding looks and they don't know cricket? They always guess, oh, mid-60s. And I go, no, no, he looks younger than that. Um, yeah, so I got a, a surprise and obviously disappointed. He's such a, um, a an evocative presence in, in the commentary box. I don't always agree with him, but the thing that I like most about him is that he absolutely is uncensored and what he says is bang on what he means. And there's so many instances of commentators around the world where you kind of know that they've been forced to sign a contract where um, they're not really encouraged to criticise various different things. And, I oh, look, I know how that would be. I mean, if the BCCI came to me and said, we'd like you to commentate the IPL, but you can only be positive about the IPL, I would say, I've already signed. I will do whatever you want. I will be a mouthpiece, a puppet. I will say anything if you give me a job. He's the, <laughs> he's the opposite of that. And I just still love that in 2019, when he got criticised for criticising the umpires and, you know, that they're sort of saying to him, this is not the way that the ICC want this tournament to be run. He just replied with an email saying, please let me know if I should be heading back to my home in Newmarket instead of heading to Cardiff, because I don't agree with what is being suggested here and happy not being part of it. It's like, bang, welcome to the big time. You don't, you're not going to muck around with me. And As I said, I understand why other commentators aren't that way, but the fact that he is that way uh, has my undying admiration and it's a great deal of, it's a great pity that he is um, retiring. I also like the fact that he's leaving us wanting a bit more. It's the classic retirement where he's not waiting to be pushed. He's not David Gower style, not being offered a contract. He's gone, okay, I'm done. And he did cite the fact that since COVID, you know, the extra travel, um, the quarantines, et cetera, has, you know, played into his decision. I know, Paul, you think it's retirement, but I think that travel <laughs> could be quite taxing when you add in quarantine and, and those types of things. Um, yeah, so, look, I think it's a, a you know, a big loss, but uh, plenty of great commentators ready to fill his spot. I think it's a huge, um, it's a huge loss. The only thing I uh, didn't like that he did this year was when he really sort of, tore down 2020 cricket when he said, I only commentate on cricket, which um, when he was asked about maybe commentating in the IPL, I didn't love that. But that is the only blight on uh, Michael Holding. I think he's uh, he's going to be very missed. 
Yeah, I disagreed with him on that as well. But I also liked the fact that he said it because in his position, so many people would just not say it. Um, And sometimes you need sort of these people with the sort of somewhat old-fashioned attitudes, um, uh, even if we don't agree with them. Um, That's very true. Ian Chappell's a little bit similar in that um, uh, he'll he'll still call it what he thinks. Yeah, very true. Can we just insert a quick commentary critique in here? Go Um, for it. I I love a lot of the Channel 7 commentary team. Is it Jason Richardson? Is he? Is that his name, Paul? Yes. I don't, I don't know why you don't like him. I don't mind him. I just find him quite aggravating. He doesn't sound cricket to me. He just, he just feels out of place. And then you put him with Brad Hodge, who I'm sorry, but he's, he's not a great commentator. Um, so, you know, Richo and Hodge really just put me um, – in, in, in an annoyed mood yesterday morning, I had to reach for the mute button. Luckily, in the afternoon, Lisa Stalaker came in and sort of saved the day. But, uh, you know, Richo just does my head in. Hodge is not far behind. Um, so, yeah, that Channel 7, that, they need to improve that side of things. There was not too many cricket commentators that um, really grind on me. There's a few NRL commentators, but there, there's actually not too many cricket commentators. But the one thing I really hate in cricket and it happens a lot in the BBL, is sometimes you've got people commentating who quite clearly don't watch consistently. Mm. Like, don't it, it happens in the BBL all the time. They'll make comments where you're like, mm, not totally sure you've been watching this whole season. Not so much the people that do it day in and day out, but uh, just every now and then you have someone on there that you're like, mm, not, I'm not sure you're across this. I mean, whoever put Doug Bollinger in the commentary box should be um, put in front of a court and convicted. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I like Richo because um, I, I, this is a stupid reason to like him, but he was a very fast runner. He, ra- he ran in the store <laughs> gift. <laughs> I, I always respect speed. Cool. Um, and I like um, <laughs> he, he, he does horse racing stuff, and I watch a, a bit of that, and I, I just find him a nice guy. But um, maybe it's along the same lines as the reason I didn't dislike Brayshaw, that, um, where, whereas everyone else did. But I think the three things that you want in a commentator, especially in TV, number one before anything else is not to be annoying. And Richie Benno always said that you, you're being invited into someone's lounge room for the entire afternoon. Don't um, don't be annoying. And so we've talked before, if you could have a red button such that you just got the ambient noise, that's better than a bad commentator. Number two, mm-hmm. give the... Uh, Give the facts and figures, especially on radio, give the score. But number three, if you can be, be entertaining. And having just watched the Sky coverage of the England and India series, I think that's just about the best commentary I've ever seen across the entirety of it. That we mentioned holding, but Atherton and Hussain and David Lloyd, even uh, Ian Ward and Rob Key. I just think they tick all the boxes. They're, they're, they're never annoying. They're always interesting. Um, and I, I think that they're, they're world leaders at it. And so I think any commentary that I hear this summer is going to really struggle to, to live up to those standards. One thing I hate in commentary, um, I hate screaming at really mundane moments. And I also really hate telling me about the weather every five seconds. Like it's really hot. It's really hot here. It's really hot. I don't care. Like tell me it's hot once. <laughs> it's really cold at GIO Stadium in Canberra and like no shit. <laughs> I also hate it when they complain about being there. I remember um Yes. You could sort of always sense that Ian Botham with the extra half hour was always like, I don't want to be here. And it's like, well, go then. You know, don't don't commentate if you don't want to. I showed great restraint once in the Sheffield Shield commentary box at the SCG when, for some reason, the air conditioner went off on a, like a, a plus 30-degree day for the whole afternoon. And I do, was doing like a two-hour stint in the commentary box. And by the end, I'm shirtless, like sweat dripping <laughs> off me. I'm like, you know, all of us are just, you know, dying of dehydration because we're in a greenhouse. Did I mention it? Did I go on air and say, you know, it's too hot for me? No. You certainly didn't mention it. On air, no. Did you I might have it mentioned off it off air about 197 times, <laughs> as I recall. And I'm still mentioning it. <laughs> Actually, you know, every podcast lately, one more item of clothing gets removed <laughs> off you. Today, it's a shirt. <laughs> it's painting quite a picture. <laughs> 
All right, let's continue with the cricket headlines. Um, Tim Payne's okay, apparently, recovered from surgery last week, still avoiding this podcast, but uh, no real concerns for him at the moment. Um, Adam Gilchrist in the press has said that he thinks Cummins will be the next test skipper of Australia. Glenn McGrath on uh, Road to Ashes show on Fox Sports said he's not opposed to Cummins being the skipper, but he thinks Smith is the way to go. So um, I think Cummins is firming as the next skipper now. I think it's if Gilly says it's going to happen, I think it will. Yeah, I think it looks likely. The one thing I'd say is, and I'm, I'm all for it, that – he shouldn't be afraid to sit out a test match. If, if, if in the future we've got a sort of a, a long series somewhere in the subcontinent and it's the right thing to do for him to skip a test match, then that should be fine. And that, that they'll have whomever the vice captain is take over for one test. Don't feel like he's got to play every game at the expense of his body. I do worry about how long we'll have, if either of them were captain, how long we'd have them for. Because uh, I think Smith's 33 now and Pat Cummins is 28. It's going to be a short uh, 28, you know, it's not old, but it is for a fastball. And it's going to be a short stint for whoever it is. It's not going to be huge. You never know. Cummins might do a Jimmy Anderson. Uh, his body is so strong now. He could captain for 12 years. That would be cool. Hopefully. <laughs> Smith's 32 as well. Um, oh, sorry, Smith. I, I, just... know, I know how that feels. <laughs> <laughs> when people call you in your 30s and you're not. The IPL's returned, so the first few games have got underway. Josh Hazelwood played the first game for the Chennai Super Kings, bowled okay. Have you two caught any of the IPL yet? Yeah, I've watched um, I've watched the highlights um, rather than staying up live for, for a change. I've actually tried to go to bed at a normal time. Um, but uh, the, the standout moment for me as an Australian fan was that shot that Maxwell played against um, uh, Chakravarti where he had scored about 10 off 16 and was clearly frustrated, couldn't really time the ball, and then aimed a massive hoik over cow corner off the mystery spinner and got clean bowled. It's the sort of thing that, oh, if you're the coach, you'd be saying, Maxi, it's fine for once just to score slowly. You know, his side ended up getting rolled for 90-odd. And uh, if I was Justin Langer, if, if, he and, if he and Max were on speaking terms, I'd be getting a message and saying, listen, mate, that's the sort of shot we don't want you playing in the World Cup. And Chakravarti, oh, I can just see Australia struggling against him in the World Cup if we, if we play them. Um, he is absolutely someone that Australian players will find hard to play. Um, I haven't watched any of the IPL. I think it's just from, I've been sort of following what's been happening, but I haven't w- actually watched any of it. And I think just for me, I think it's sort of left a bit of a bad taste in my mouth and I just haven't been super keen to pick it up again. Like to me, it's that season's done. So I don't know. I should probably feel a bit differently about it, but I just can't, I just can't get into it at the moment. I kind of understand that. And I, in, in many ways I'm watching it because I think it's good preparation for the um, for the World Cup, as in, like, I, I like to know what the yeah. pitchers are doing and that sort of thing. I am not invested in terms of who, uh, which team wins it. I don't really care. I have to say, I never really care which team wins it because I don't sort of support a team. I just like watching the spectacle. But I, I'm enjoying it. I, I've I'm just blindly accepted now. The IPL and BCCI run cricket. I, I'm totally fine with it, and. Uh, I'm actually enjoying it. I haven't watched many games live, but, you know, RCB were rolled for 92 the other night. You know, that was entertaining to watch. So I can see where you're both coming from, but I'm just glad they're playing it. It's actually great to see some, you know, the best. When you're looking at Maxwell Coley and AB de Villiers in one batting lineup, how can you not enjoy that? Didn't have their best performance, was it? De Villiers got a golden duck. Coley out LBW Sheepley and Maxwell, as I already described. That's right, but still, it's fun to watch. Sure. All right, so it was deja vu last Friday. Hot on the heels of India cancelling a test on on the morning of the game, the New Zealand team have cancelled their tour on the day they were supposed to play Pakistan in a one-day international. They did not go to the ground and left as soon as they could due to security fears. They received a credible threat and therefore cancelled the tour and left the country. 
in the wake of that, the ECB have cancelled their scheduled tour for next month in Pakistan, where both the men's and women's English team were about to go there. But interestingly, in their press release, they didn't cite security concerns. They just um, just made um, reference to mental health issues and the fact that it was a um, complex situation heading into a T20 World Cup. But uh, I have, again, sympathy for the Pakistan cricket fans, but I I have to go, you know, I have to believe that the intelligence, what's your reaction to that tour being cancelled? I have great sympathy for Pakistan cricket and Pakistan cricket fans. And, uh, you know, ultimately you've got to say that if they did receive a credible threat, then what what is the New Zealand Cricket Board to do? Um, you know, you can't put your employees in danger. And so it's kind of... That's the, the 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 start and the end of it all. But having de- then done that, the, the the tumult of criticism that they've received uh, was always going to happen. And the, the fact that they can point to Pakistan toured toured New Zealand not that long after the terrorist attack in the Christchurch mosque, and the security that they were going to get when they were getting over there is awe-inspiring, you know, the, the thousands of personnel, um, you know, what was it, uh, who are those, those royal guys, William and, was it William and Kate are their names? Yeah. Um, they went there a couple of years ago to Pakistan. So, you, you know, people are saying a, a royal tour was was carried off with with um, out problems. Surely uh, a cricket team could go over there. And, um, yeah, New Zealand lost a lot of friends in Pakistan for, for that decision. But, again, ultimately, if they've received the credible threat, I don't think they've got much choice. As for England, um, they didn't make it the main thing about uh, the security, but they they did actually mention it um, in their statement. Um, they did say in the middle of their statement, we know there are increasing concerns about travelling to the region. Um, so there is that as well. And I wonder if the England players have sort of been saying to the ECB, listen, um, you've got to give us some clear you've got to clear the schedule a bit if you expect us to go to the Ashes. And maybe this is one of those um, series that, that that fell victim to it. It's only going to be a four-day tour. They're going to be in and out in, in, in very little time at all. And again, Pakistan can say, we toured England last year in the midst of the um, coronavirus when there was no vaccine. It was ravaging England. We saved you hundreds of millions of dollars. The least you could have done was to turn up for four miserable days and played a few games of cricket. Uh, yeah, I tend to agree that um, I hope it wasn't um, it's a scheduling thing just for England because I mean you've committed you commit to something you know even though it's quite in and out and it's quite quick you, you commit to it and like you said Pakistan to it England um, right in the co- in, in COVID so I hope it's um, I sort of hope it's a little bit more to do with security than that and if it is security which New Zealand have said, then um, I completely agree. You just can't take the risk with that kind of thing and you have to keep your players safe. So I'm sure any threat would be taken quite seriously. I have been a bit disappointed with Ramesh Raj's reaction to all this. He's been very, I would say, um, combative in his response at the new PCB uh, boss. He's, he's, He's just been so hostile and he's turning it, you know, whipping up this national fervor in Pakistan against these two decisions. And I don't think that does any help um, for teams wanting to go there in the future. Mark my words, there is a 0% chance Australia is touring Pakistan next year. What odds will you give me? What odds will you give me? Well, okay. Give me a thousand to one? A thousand to one. I'll have a dollar on that. Thank you. (laughs) I'm not going to gamble with you, Paul, because I don't want to take your money. No, but um, don't emphasize zero percent. It's not zero. Okay. There's a small. There's a chance. No, there's no chance. And I reckon um, it's 50-50. No, there's no chance. And in my opinion, there's no chance. And look, I'm just speculating here, but m- my reading between the lines is that what's happened in Afghanistan has destabled the region, maybe slightly in terms of some of this intelligence stuff, and maybe they can't get an accurate gauge on what is going on, so they've just pulled out. Um, so yeah, it's very complex. I don't blame Ramiz Raja at all. I think that, neither do I. I, I. I think that what he said is exactly what I'd be saying in in his position, and he's entitled to be absolutely fuming. And you know, we we make the point that ultimately, if um, the security threat is 
is real incredible. They have to pull it out, pull out. But he can say, well, wait a minute, you didn't even share what it was with us. It was just, is it just one phone call and you guys, um, and you guys pull out? And oh, isn't it, isn't it amazing? The next day, England's pulled out as well. Um, and surely Australia's probably going to pull out too. Uh, we thought we were in this together. Uh, cricket has not been played here other than at the odd couple of tours for 12 years. And, you know, as always, you say, what would happen? Imagine if in Australia we hadn't had much, we'd, we'd had no cricket for 10 years and then a couple of tours in the last two years. And then when it was look set, looking set to come again, uh, it all got cancelled. Cricket in this country would be absolutely devastated. The The popularity would have fallen through the floor. So, You've just come into the job and you see what seems to be a betrayal. I don't blame him at all for using inflammatory language. I don't either. And that's his job is to advocate for Pakistan. So I don't, I think he would be furious and he's been left with a huge mess too. That's right. Um, I guess it's interesting to note that New Zealand and England both use the same security firm. So they probably received similar advice. Also, it has to be noted that there is no obligation for New Zealand to share intelligence with the Pakistan Cricket Board. I mean, it, it could be a leaky a leaky ship. That intelligence, you never know where it's going to end up. So I actually, I'm, I'm fully on board. I'm taking New Zealand and England side. Um, as I said, a lot of sympathy, but um, that's just the way it is, unfortunately. There's no obligation for them to share it, but by the same token, there's every... Um it's completely realistic for Pakistan to be annoyed that they didn't share it. I think that both of those positions are not mutually exclusive. Fair enough. I don't know why you wouldn't share it. Because it could be, um, you know, to do with national security. And But you're not going over there, so there's no risk to you if you're not going over there. But maybe but you say the- we're not going over there and this is the threat. Why? Well, Maybe the intelligence the is just the tip of the iceberg and, and then they're not going to share it, all of it, with the, the PCB. All right, now, Paul, take us through the T20 World Cup, please. Okay, so I've sometimes said in the past that cricket fans can get blindsided by matches, and you, you might, someone might say to you, hey, um, we're, um, and they won't do it in this time of the moment because we're all in lockdown, but if, if things move to normal, someone might say, hey, um, 23rd of October, we're having a night out. Do you want to come? Don't say yes. Don't say yes. You've got to know the schedule. <laughs> my so- reaction is, or my first reaction is always no. <laughs> so I said it before with my dad. He at the start of each year he puts all the cricket dates in his diary so that he doesn't actually. Mum doesn't invite him to something that he doesn't realise he had to say no to. So, um, yeah. for those who are antisocial, similar to me, uh, here are the dates. So, Saturday the twenty third of October, nine o'clock Australian Eastern Summer Time. It will be Australia versus South Africa. So Australia should win that. Then um, Friday, the 29th of October at 1am. So it's actually the day before in um, local time, but Australia, it's just clicked across into Friday morning at 1am. Australia played the qualifier from Group A, A1. Sunday, the 31st at 1am, it's Australia versus England. Um, That should be another good win for the Aussies. Then Thursday, the 4th of November at 9pm, Australia play B2, the the second-place qualifier from the other group. And by Saturday, the 6th of November at 9pm, I'm sure Australia will have already booked their spot in the semifinals, but just in case. (laughs) That's a good one, Paul. (laughs) Just in case Australia is playing West Indies that night. Now, Menas, I dare you, you should book something in on the 11th and the 12th of November because Australia's, according to you, no chance of being in those semifinals. That's at 1am on the 11th. And on the 12th, again, that's kind of the night before. Those are the dates of the two semis. And on the 15th at 1am is the final, which, according to Manners, Australia is absolutely no chance of being at. He has written it off categorically. I am not predicting that Australia will be there, but of course they are a chance. Um, if, if I had to predict someone, I think I'm actually tipping England to lift the trophy trophy in a final against India. Not all that much of an exciting prediction, given that's second favourite against first. But I give Bangladesh and South Africa a chance of causing an upset, and I definitely give the Aussies some hope. I like how you said Eastern Summertime. I've never heard anyone say that before. <laughs> I couldn't get past that. Is this your first day in Australia? <laughs> they say that all the time. It's so funny. Well, look, I'm just looking at these times and thinking that's very news-friendly. That's a long time before our 5 p.m. deadline, so great. Brilliant. Works for you. All looks good to me. 
Well, Paul, I won't make arrangement on arrangements for the semi-final evenings because, as you know, on Cricket Daily, I'm global menace. So I, I knew you were going to say that. No, you've okay. got to you've got to stand up and um, make some ownership of this. I want you to book in with your wife a, a two-day trip to the Blue Mountains or something. Well, that would not be good for Cricket Daily, um, so I'm not going to do that. I, I, I've categorically said Australia aren't going to win the tournament, and uh, yeah, I'm I'm, well, I'm not going to go down this again. You know my feelings on this. Um, I, I I agree with you, Menace. Thank you. All right. The final cricket headline, the Sheffield Shield season starts this Friday. So South Australia hosting Western Australia in Adelaide. Then next week, Queensland taking on Tasmania. That's hot on the heels of the 50-over comp starting today as we record. So... Lots of cricket to watch. Cannot wait for that. It's, it's really hard to sort of predict the shield or make any um, thoughts on the form because we just don't know what's going to happen after these two games. It's so bizarre that the schedule's just literally for this week and next week and who knows what's going to happen after. So hopefully we'll get some shield cricket in New South Wales. I know Paul and I would like to be commentating. I just happened to chance upon the other day the match report of the first ever interstate game from 1850-51. So... 171 or so years later, the fact that it's still happening is is really cool. Um, so that was Victoria versus Tasmania, although at the time it was correctly Port Phillip versus Van Diemen's Land. So things have changed. All righty. Well, Paul's little dalliance with history. We'll take a quick break, then we'll be back with a viewer mail or a review and can't let it go. You're listening to the Cricket Unfiltered Podcast. I'm Menes. I'm with Paul and Jaleesa. And, Paul, would you like to read out this review that someone has left on the English Apple Podcast site? Yep. It's from The Royd, entitled Decent Cricket Podcast. Interesting cricket podcast from a couple of passionate cricket fans. One of the hosts seems to be slightly unstable, but it is generally entertaining. It's quite Sydney-centric and may not be for everyone, but give it a go. Paul, I mean, what's your reaction to being labelled as slightly unstable? <laughs> I have a certificate to prove that I'm not. Um, it's interesting that... Um, of us, really. That could be all three. Exactly. <laughs> it's interesting that he's just said that there's two hosts. It's like, men, as he just doesn't acknowledge your, your existence. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but thank you for leaving that review. Always great to hear from the listeners. Um, we are passionate, that's for sure. All right, let's uh, round it all off with Can't Let It Go, that little bit of cricket news that you just can't let go through to the keeper. I I have a psychic prediction of what Jaleesa's is going to be, so I'll, I'll just make her wait patiently. Mine is thank you, Donald Trump. Donald Trump, four or five years ago, <laughs> saved Twitter from irrelevance. It was waning. DJT uses it as a platform. Twitter bounces back. And I have to say, cricket Twitter is amazing. Uh, you know, Ramiz Raja just lets fly on cricket Twitter. you got the, the PCB chairman just sledging everybody that comes near him. And then uh, when something happens in the cricket world, Twitter is a great place. You know, when New Zealand left Pakistan last Friday. It was just blowing up. People were in spaces with a thousand people yelling at each other about what was going on. I mean, thank you, President Trump, for saving Twitter. I get the excitement and sometimes I like it, but I wish there was an alternative version as well called boring Twitter or something where you were only allowed to have vanilla opinions and it just could be a calming place. No mention of anything that occurred after 1890 was allowed. And it's Facebook. Very, very relaxing. <laughs> <laughs> have you have you seen Facebook? It's even worse. <laughs> just yeah, just just to be able to occasionally pop into someone just um just talking about how lovely things are, and then maybe heading back to the the cesspit of Twitter. You're back on Twitter, Jaleesa. I'm back on Twitter. Yeah, I. Uh, you know what? It was bloody good not having Twitter. I wish I still didn't have it, but um, I'm back on Twitter because it was kind of affecting me. You know what? You you get the news so much later. Like you get breaking sort of things just happen so much later when you're not scrolling on Twitter. So I am back on Twitter, but 
Oh, it's just, it's a real punish on there, isn't it? I mean, there is a certain like group of people, particularly the cricket that I really like, but uh, for the most part, it's just people ranting. I actually don't look on there a lot. Um, so what I've sort of done is like set alerts for certain things, but, um, in terms of just scrolling and looking, I, I don't really do that a lot. Have you set an alert for when I tweet? No, you're unmuted. <laughs> Budge. <laughs> <laughs> I've set you to mute. <laughs> well, if you if you're not on Twitter and you listen to this podcast, go and join it. I'm at Oz Cricket Pod. So that's the show, AUS Cricket Pod. I'm on Amen as A M E N E R S. Um so you join Cricket Twitter if you need some toxicity in your life. I saw you um strutting your stuff on ten years last night. So you're you're presenting the sport because what Matt Burke's away. Um, yeah, Berkey's away, so I'm um, Chris Latham. So um, you're, you're pretty um, convenient for you because you can, you know, find a can't let it go perhaps from there? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, actually, well, I, I'll do two can't let it goes then. Well, yes, there was a can't let it go on there that we had as our play of the day, which is just an absolute cluster of events in a uh, dismissal in cricket. Please go on to um, the Twitter, our Twitter page, and I think you've retweeted me after I put it up, which is just really quite funny. It's just an absolute. The one thing I couldn't say on TV, which we initially had him, but then I decided to take it out because it was too risky, was the fact that the umpire was scratching his butt, which was just so funny but, and so immature. But anyway, the the rest of it's an absolute cluster. So go on and have a look. But my, my can't let it go is actually something almost two years ago now. And it's something that we discussed heavily on this podcast and it was in the B, the B, that BBL final at the start of 2020. So not quite COVID hadn't completely ruined our lives yet. And so the sport was still happening. Everything was still happening, but it was the BBL final that was almost rained out. So the one against Sydney Sixers and Melbourne, does everyone know what I'm talking about? Yep. 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 Okay. So for the whole week, we had known that this final. It was a miracle that any ball got bowled in the end because it was just one of those weeks in Sydney where it just rained and rained and rained and it looked like the forecast. It just looked like nothing. It wasn't going to happen. There were all these excuses put up as to why the game couldn't have been moved to Melbourne. And there was every excuse under the sun. And it was, I remember thinking, I don't know if we were all angry at the time, but I know Menas and I were both really angry that the game wasn't moved to Melbourne because it was just going to be, because it was when they didn't have the reserve day either. Mm. So we, we are, you know, there was all these arguments. One of them was that, oh, it couldn't happen because they're betting agencies and there was every other argument under the sun. And now I just think with every movement that has happened in COVID, we've had rugby league games literally moved hours before to different like cities. We've had cricket games moved. We've had every sport under the sun adapt. That game could have been moved and it still annoys me. And I just think COVID came just to prove that that could have been moved. I am angry upsy about it still two years later. At the time, uh, uh, I remember we discussed this, that, the problem with it was that even though you say, oh, betting shouldn't lead things, if they did move it and the betting companies then had to pay out on both results, they would say to Cricket Australia, um, you're going to have to refund us for this because you've gone against your own terms and conditions. We've had to re- refund this money. It would have cost them a lot of money. Not but poor men- betting agencies haven't done that with any other any other game that's been moved. It's no, gone. It, the there's, been no equivalent, has- there's been no equivalent though. Yes, they have. There's been rugby league games that have been moved, home games that have been moved literally at the last minute. I mean, only two months ago we saw games called off on the Sunday, moved to sit, moved to Queensland on for the Monday. No, but there's no equivalent because it's not the same because there's no um, – this Why? is going to be – because of the washout. There's the, 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 if the game had been played in Sydney and washed out, that was going to be a major um, – that was, that was the end of it for um, uh, the, the Melbourne side. So there's a, there's a massive difference there, that the league games are never going to be washed out. I just disagree. I think there was no reason that game couldn't have been moved, and I'm still angry about it, and I think COVID's proven that. 
Is the Fair ultimate enough. can't let it go from like two years ago? Like just <laughs> resentments central here. I'm still going to be bringing this up. Well, for the fact that they didn't have a reserve date was the most ridiculous thing, but I'm still going to bring this up for the next 20 years. I've got one. Every quick- time a game is moved, you'll be hearing about this. <laughs> Good. I've got one quick can't let it go. I ordered my Australian Cricket Digest for the 2021-22 season from Laurie Colliver. He puts out his own guide to the season every year. Unfortunately, I missed last year, so I've ordered it as well. But if you're a cricket nuffy, um, head to at Laurie Colliver on um, Twitter and um, you have a look for his – and you can order his Australian Cricket Digest. Just send him a message. Can't wait. I might even lend it to you, Paul, to have a look at when we're at the Shield. Thank you very much. Well, I guess that's it for this edition of Cricket Unfiltered. Any parting words for the listeners? Um, well, at the start of this podcast, you told us that there was an earthquake. And since then, I've seen that there was an earthquake. And I don't know how we didn't feel it because people in Sydney also felt it. It was in Melbourne, but because it was six on the Richter scale, people in Sydney, it's being reported all through Sydney as well. So what were we all doing at 915 I was, I don't know what I was doing, but I didn't feel it. I was recording cricket daily. Okay. Very important. I was in the shower. Um, all righty. Well, um, <laughs> hope everyone's safe in Melbourne. Oh, gosh. Um, <laughs> Men is funny. Every, every possible way to have an indirect reference to nudity in this show. <laughs> Oh, God. Oh, Nude oh, yeah. Cricket with Menas. Is that your next podcast? Yep. <laughs> Look, I just like, anyway. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that was self-censorship in action I could hear. <laughs> it was. Yeah. Trust me, it was. No one needs to hear about my nipple ring. All right. Um, we're going to take, that's it for this edition of Cricket Unfiltered. I uh, hope everyone's safe in Victoria. Um, stay safe. Get vaccinated. <laughs> On Florida's Space Coast, we think you can have the best of both worlds. Kind of like right now. Driving, at your desk, maybe at the gym, but you're also grooving to some music. Visit us and you'll go to the beach and see a rocket launch. Or go kayaking and manatee spotting. It's all waiting for you on the only beach that doubles as a launch pad. Plan your adventure today at visitspacecoast.com. Sports Social Podcast Network. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.